This week on Myths and Legends, it's a folk tale from Russia about how you should give biscuits to every stranger you see ever, and that making a deal with the devil can be a great idea if the devil wants you to leave and never come back. The creature this week is why you might want to be discerning with your pet's snacking choices, because they might become super smart and conspire to kill you. This is Myths and Legends, episode 204, Get in the Bag. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. The story this time is a Russian fairy tale set in the late Middle Ages or early modern period. It's a fairy tale though, so none of that super matters. We'll just jump right in to meet a soldier on the day before retirement with no idea what he's going to do next. Three biscuits, 25 years in service to the Tsar, and the soldier was retiring on three biscuits. He was over 40 now. He had frozen camping in the north. He had been sunburned and sweltering in the south. He had almost lost a foot that time they were on campaign and had to sleep in a bog. He had given the Tsar the best years of his life, and all he had for it were three biscuits. He laughed that night with friends as they drank wine together one last time. It was over for him. It was over for all of them, and tomorrow, the brothers-in-arms went their separate ways. Tomorrow, he had to figure out his life outside the army. The next morning, a headache pulsed on the edges of his awareness. There were shouts and backslaps from his comrades. The invitations for them to come visit at each other's houses flew back and forth. Our soldier did the same, but he didn't tell his comrades where to find him because he didn't have a home to go back to. The three biscuits hung heavy in his pocket tapping his leg as he walked alone. The price of a lifetime of service. A copper piece for an old beggar, the soldier heard. The man turned. There, sitting against a tree, was a man a few years older than himself, who hadn't had the clothing, shelter, and food for the last 25 years that the soldier had had. In the name of God, do you have any alms? The man asked. The soldier had been there, stomach so empty, so pained that it was all you could think of. This man had had a harder life than him. He knelt. He didn't have any coppers, but he did have this. He pressed one of the three biscuits in the man's hand, rose, and continued on. It wasn't long before he met another. He, too, got a biscuit. The soldier thought that if he didn't live in a world where people shared with those in need... What kind of a world had he fought for? He was forced to put his convictions to the test, though, when he arrived at the third beggar. Now, it wasn't simply giving from his surplus, no matter how meager that surplus may be, but a choice between life and death, between selfishness in one more day, or charity and starvation. He tried to split the difference by literally splitting the biscuit, but after a few steps... And wondering what the man might think if he ran into the other beggars, he stopped. The third beggar would be hurt. 
offended that he wasn't worth half a biscuit. The soldier stopped him and told him to take the other half too. The soldier had eaten that morning. It looked like it had been a lot longer for the beggar. The man grinned a nearly toothless smile and asked, Brother, are you in want of anything? The soldier laughed. I mean, he just gave the beggar his only possession in the world, and it was a dry biscuit, so... Yeah, but the beggar was a poor man, too. The soldier wanted nothing more than the beggar to have something close to resembling a full belly on this day. The old man waved his hand. Forget about all that. The soldier should tell him what he wanted. The beggar wanted to reward a kind heart. The soldier, who didn't want anything from a man who had a harder life than himself, threw up his hands. Uh... A pack of cards? So he would have something to do on the long road and not just sit there and think about how hungry he was? The old man thrust his hands into his bosom and pulled out a pack of cards. Here, pack of cards. But these were special. If he played with these, he would never lose. The soldier grinned. Cool. He was definitely not uneasy from the old man who insisted he had magical playing cards. Wait, the beggar said, grabbing the soldier's wrist. One more thing. The soldier smiled awkwardly as the beggar unhooked a sack from his belt and thrust it in the soldier's other hand. This bag, if you meet anything you want to catch, just open up the sack and tell it to get in. And they'll do just that, the beggar said, grinning all the wider. Oh, okay, cool. Wow, what a gift. So magical, the soldier said. You know what? I can't take this. It's too much. Here. He tried to offer it back, but the man held up his hand, refusing to take it. Absolutely not. It was a gift for the biscuit. Not wanting to be rude and also not wanting this guy following him down the road, shrieking about some magical bag, the soldier decided to take it. Besides, at worst he was taking like a cup and a half of flour at the bottom of a sack. He continued on down the road. That night, his first night of many out of the army, he made camp at the edge of a lake. He couldn't afford the inn at a nearby city. He drank as much water as he could take from the lake to slake his thirst, and he lit a pipe to take the edge off his hunger. He briefly thought about a mouthful of flour from some beggar's sack, but he wasn't that desperate. Yet, he looked out on the lake to three geese sitting out there. If only he had a crossbow, he could get a goose. Then he looked to the bag. Mm, no, 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 that man was just a crazy old beggar. Still, he had heard stories in his time abroad, and no one would have to know. The soldier rose and rushed out to the road, looking up and down and then picked his way through the brush to his small campfire. He glanced around a second, and then a third time, and then he grabbed the bag. Hey, hey, hey geese, the three geese out there, he said. Get in the bag? And then he sighed, just as he thought. The old man was crazy. It was a good thing he was so disappointed and set the bag down, or the geese might have broken his ribs. The geese took flight, and before the soldier could react, they dive-bombed into the bag. The third goose had a more difficult time, shoving himself into the too-tight-by-half bag, but he made it. The soldier couldn't quite believe it. 
but scrambled to close the bag before whatever magic that led to their flower-coated imprisonment wore off. He watched as these geese fought against each other for room in the bag, but they couldn't move. He scooped up the bag, kicked some dirt onto his fledgling campfire, and knocked the contents of his pipe out before rushing to the inn in the city, a half mile down the road. The soldier sat by the fire, completely content for the first time in years. I used to work at a hotel front desk, and I can tell you, if you're willing to risk things a bit and not reserve a room in advance and go in and talk to the front desk on a slow night, you can probably get a pretty good deal. That's what the soldier did. One goose for a room, one goose to eat, and one goose for an entire bottle of vodka. I don't know what the conversion rate is between geese and rubles, but it must have been good. As the last of the vodka dripped from the bottle into the soldier's mouth, the soldier picked up a bone to pick his teeth and raised his hand to get the attention of the waiter slash front desk clerk slash head housekeeper slash owner. He pointed out the window. What's, uh, what's the deal with that? Across the street was a palace, and even for a palace, that place was classy. An entire year had gone into carving and painting every doorpost and window frame, but it was dark and the window frames didn't have any windows in them. The innkeeper collected the bottle and scraps of goose. Oh, yeah, uh, devils, you know. Devils. The innkeeper nodded. Uh, yeah, it was like this big deal a few years back. The Tsar was chased out of his castle by demons. Every night they crowd into the palace and shriek and do all manner of terrible things, I'm assuming. It was a bummer for the Tsar. It was kind of an even bigger bummer for an innkeeper. You know, one who, uh, just spitballing here, put it all on the line and took out a big loan to open an inn right across the street from the palace. Turns out not a lot of people enjoy falling asleep to shrieking demons. Kind of why I need to accept geese as payment. Well then, why doesn't someone just go in there and clear them out? Shouldn't be difficult, the soldier remarked. Yeah... That's your last full bottle of vodka for the night, bud, the innkeeper said, and took the plates away. But the soldier was serious, so serious that, the next day, he looked up the residence of the Tsar, who I guess was in the phone book, and just knocked on the man's door. And the Tsar, who was in this normal house, without all the trappings of royalty, just invited the old soldier in. The soldier had given 25 years for the Tsar, the least the monarch could do was give him 10 minutes. The soldier didn't need that long, though. He immediately asked if he could spend the night in the abandoned palace. The Tsar sighed. I mean, you can. Seriously, though, more foolhardy people than him had tried. And every time after, the Tsar had to send a guy in to search the floor for little bits of their remains. It's gross. I mean, if you don't want people going in there, why don't you just leave the remains? The soldier asked. You don't have to pay a guy to do that, and the smell alone will keep people out. The Tsar gasped. See? You're an idea guy. Don't go in there. You'll die. And then we'll be picking up pieces of you. Water won't drown a Russian soldier, and fire won't burn him, the soldier said. The, the Tsar shook his head. Both of those things were very untrue. Where did he hear that? Is that what they're telling their soldiers? He should talk to his propaganda guy. That's not safe at all. But the soldier continued. He had served God and his czar for 25 years. One night in a palace wouldn't be the end of him. 
all he needed was the Tsar's leave. The Tsar rolled his eyes. Yeah, I mean, sure, whatever. Go die. The soldier bowed, took up his pack, and left the Tsar's home. The soldier sat up against his knapsack. Sword hung on a nail behind him, and pipe glowing in his hand. Somewhere in town, the clock struck midnight. He heard their music first, a strange, harsh, discordant thing. Then the shrieking and singing. He heard the pounding of their dancing on the stone and wood as they materialized all around the room. In an instant, the soldier had two dozen red eyes staring at him. Grotesque forms swayed over, studying him, and smiles of long, razor teeth filled the room while the soldier simply stared back. The demons turned to one another. This was one of the fun ones. He wasn't scared. Put that pipe away, one of the demons commanded. There's smoke enough where we come from. It seemed the demon was a demon, but seriously, smoking is bad for you, even pipe smoke. The demon, seeing that their usual tactics weren't working, told the soldier to come play cards with them. The soldier grinned as he produced his own pack. He thought they would never ask. Cut to two hours later, when 60 bushels of silver and 40 bushels of gold lined the wall of the great room, the soldier, who had only ever played solitaire with the cards, was very happy to see that they, like the bag, were also enchanted. He won every time. The demons all stared longingly at the wall and pitied the porter, who was spending his night off bathed in sweat, running bushels of precious metals from hell. The demons looked at each other. Oh, they were losing so much money, but no matter what, they lost. What could they do? Then, one demon spoke up. Uh, guys, we're, we're demons. Let's just, you know, eat this guy. The others slapped their forehead with their palms. Silly me. Yeah, let's do it. Let's murder this guy. But they were neither quiet nor subtle. So, when they looked back to the soldier, they might have expected him to be holding his sword. But he wasn't. What do you call this thing in my hands? The soldier asked. A, a, a bag? The lead demon said. The soldier nodded. Yep. Now get in the bag. All of you. The demons began trembling. Not out of fear, but because they were fighting against whatever was happening in their bodies fighting, and losing. They screamed as they took step after step toward the soldier. The closest demon was still able to cover his nose when he buried his face in the goose-poop-coated interior of the bag, and soon, the others were settling in. Mind you, this bag is magic in some ways, but it does not grow. It was snug for three doomed geese. The I don't know, dozen demons were crushing each other into a mass of horns and broken bones, and they still didn't have room. When all of them had compressed themselves into a smaller-than-average flower bag, the soldier looped the rope around the mouth and tied it off. He relaxed on his bedroll and went to sleep. The Tsar's royal janitor, who recently 
pretty much exclusively picked up actual pieces of humans strewn about the palace, so he loved going to work. Well, he stepped into the palace and gasped. The soldier was sitting up, puffing his pipe. He, he wasn't dead. The soldier nodded. Yeah, hey, he had a favor. The janitor grinned. To not spend a morning scrubbing human remains from grout? He was so grateful that he would do anything. That anything was getting two of the biggest, burliest blacksmiths in the city out to the palace with an anvil and a couple of the heaviest hammers in the forge. The soldier didn't want to risk taking the demons through town. And soon, the blacksmiths were there. You two, take the sack down off the wall and put it on the anvil. And then hammer it, the soldier commanded. The smithy stepped back. Is that bag screaming? Yeah, it's full of demons, the soldier said, and started puffing his pipe. The demons cried out in the voices of the townsfolk, but seeing as a whole legion of humans couldn't be in a bag like that and survive, the smithies didn't fall for the deception, set the bag on the anvil, and started hammering. After about a half hour of screaming, sweat streaming from the blacksmiths, the soldier held up his hand and emptied the ash from his pipe as the royal janitor rushed to him with a trash can. Here are my terms, the soldier said, to the groaning and moaning bag. No demon comes within a hundred miles of this city, ever. The demons cried out, absolutely. They would never forget him. They never wanted to see him again. Good, the soldier said with a nod, and waved off the smithies. He took up the bag and loosened the string around the mouth. Immediately, there was a rush, as demons unfolded and uncontorted themselves before flying from the room in any way possible. The soldier waited until the bag was empty, until the last demon was crawling across the floor, uncrumpling himself, to put his foot down. The demon screeched as the soldier stamped down on his calf. The soldier took out his penknife and jammed it into the demon's hand. He waited until the blood started to flow and reached into his pack, pulling out a quill and piece of paper. Right, he said. And the demon took up the quill and dipped it in his own blood. Seconds later, the soldier had a pledge, signed and written in the demon's own blood, that the demon would be his faithful servant. Not even a demon could go back on that. When the soldier was satisfied, he lifted his foot, and the demon limped free. The soldier smiled. He would be in touch. The demon hissed, the soldier arched his eyebrows and held the bag open. The demon shrieked and flew from the room. We'll see the soldier return triumphant, but that will be right after this. moving day. The soldier, for his role in helping the Tsar take back the castle, was invited to live in the palace as the Tsar's sworn brother, and he had more money than he knew what to do with. But he really did. He had all the cash from the demons, and it was just sitting around, collecting dust. So he decided that he would get married and have children. He met a nice woman, and soon, God graced them with a son. But then, tragedy struck. His boy fell ill, 
and the soldier's close friend, the Tsar, sent for every doctor in the realm, but none could help. For all of his money and power, the soldier had to watch his son die. And then he had an idea. He reached into his pocket, held out the paper that he had made the demon sign, and called out, where the devil has my old devil hidden himself this whole time? Because I guess no situation, no matter how potentially tragic, is safe from a dad joke. A form materialized in front of him. It was a peasant, dressed in rags and trembling. My son is ill, the soldier said, not wanting to make small talk with a demon. Do you happen to know how to cure him? The demon pulled a glass from his inventory and wordlessly set it on the table in front of the soldier. He poured some water from a pitcher into the glass and then handed it to the father. They should go to the son. The son was lying in bed, sleeping, and the demon told the soldier to put the glass of water on the boy's forehead and look into it. The whole time he was talking, the demon was trembling so much at his memory of the time in the bag that he could hardly speak. The soldier looked through the glass in all directions and gasped. He shot up, looking to the foot of the bed, and then went back to the glass. Whenever he looked in the glass, she was there. An old woman, cloaked in shadow, waiting at the foot of the boy's bed. The demon breathed. Good, that was good. If death, the old woman, was standing at his head, nothing could save him. Since she's at his feet, he will live. He instructed the soldier to splash the boy with a little bit of water. When he did, the kid's eyes shot open, and he sprang up in bed. The story says that the next minute he was like a little boy again, crawling, laughing, and crowing, which, okay. And the boy acted as if he had never been sick in his life. I get to keep this glass and you never see me again, the soldier offered, holding out the letter that bound the demon to his will. The creature did not take one second to think about it, but snatched the paper from the soldier's hand and flew from the room as fast as he could. More time passed, and the brave soldier changed careers. He was going to be a doctor. Did he go to medical school? Of course not. Did he have any training whatsoever? Nope, but he did have a magical glass of water. And results. The people might have been skeptical when he balanced the glass of water on their heads, but they couldn't argue with how good they felt after he splashed them. Some died, sure, when the soldier looked in the glass and saw that death was standing by their heads, but most lived. Besides, his batting average was better than the actual trained physicians, and there were no leeches. So it's said that he put every doctor in the city out of business. The problem with putting every doctor in the city out of business is that when the Tsar gets sick, there's no one else to blame especially when the soldier looked into the glass and saw death standing at his monarch's head. There was nothing to be done. The Tsar would die. The Tsar pursed his lips and nodded. Wow, bummer. He snapped his fingers, and two of his guards appeared. Behead this one, he said, and the men nodded. As they took the soldier's arms in their hands, the man struggled free. What? The Tsar coughed and then nodded. Yeah, I mean, you can heal my generals and boyers and nobles and some peasant on the street, but you can't heal me? You're czar? You're like a brother to me. It hurts, man, but, like, emotionally. Nothing like being beheaded, like you're about to be. Seriously, I want to see it while I'm still alive. 
less talky, more choppy. The guards tried to grab him again, but the soldier had no other option. He pushed back the guards and went to the head of the Tsar's bed. Take me, he said to no one in particular, and the Tsar held up a hand to let the soldier speak. Give my life to the Tsar. It's nothing anyway. Better the Tsar should live than I be beheaded. There was a long pause. Then the Tsar asked, Well, what did she say? The soldier put the glass of water on his ruler's head to see the answer. And he got it. Death had shifted to the foot of the Tsar's bed. The soldier breathed. But his relief was momentary because he quickly collapsed. My brother, my sweet brother who I was just about to have executed, no! The Tsar cried. Then he uh, thought about it. I'm hungry. Anybody else hungry? Want to have some dinner? I'm dying, the soldier yelled. The Tsar narrowed his eyes. Keep up with that tone and he would. Well, whatever. The Tsar was going to dinner. After the Tsar abandoned the soldier to die alone, the soldier looked up to the spot where death was usually standing. He asked the woman, Please, could he just go say goodbye to his wife and son? Just an hour's time. He got his answer when he felt a little bit of life seep back into his limbs. He rose, thanked death, and rushed to his room. He was cold. So cold. An hour later, he was laying in his own bed cold glass of water on his forehead. It was his time. He had lived a good life, he told his wife and son. He wanted them to know that he loved them. Don't wait for him. For he got the signal from his son. She here? The young man nodded. The soldier threw off the covers and revealed that he was holding a bag. The bag. He looked up to where death always was in the last moments of a person's life, and said, get in the bag. It was like a shroud of invisibility had been torn from the old woman by the bed, because she was instantly, reluctantly visible. Luckily or unluckily, she didn't have to stand exposed for too long, because she, too, was sucked into the bag. Knowing that this was the riskiest gambit of his entire life, which was about to be a lot shorter if not for said risky gambit, the soldier didn't mess around. He looped the rope around the mouth of the bag and tied it off, double, triple knotting it. He felt the illness leaving his body, and he took a deep breath and chugged a glass of water. He kissed his wife and son and rushed from the room. A private carriage took him as far as it could, and he went the rest of the way on foot. He camped overnight, and then picked his way carefully up the rocks. Then, on a solitary peak of a lost and lonely mountain, he found a poplar tree. He climbed to the top, and looped the still squirming, still swearing bag over the highest branch. He told her to just hang out there for a little while. Remember, no situation is too dire for a dad joke and then he began his climb back down. The tree was on the edge of a cliff, and the man who had just climbed it 
missed a step. His boots scraped free, and he plinkoed on down the tree, hitting each branch as he went, and landing hard on his neck after a 30-foot roll down sharp rocks. He coughed. He had to have broken several ribs, all of his limbs, and fractured his skull in the fall. He struggled to move, to breathe, and then found that it wasn't all that much of a struggle. He, he stood, inspecting his arms and legs. Not a scratch on them. He felt his hair, too. No blood. His teeth were still in place. Wait, with death up in the tree? He couldn't die. The soldier cheered and started the slow, laborious walk down. And then he thought about it. So he backed up took a running start, and threw himself over the cliff. A world without death was an adjustment. It was great for some, uh, great for most, actually. Not needing to worry about sickness and death, society became more equal, the undertakers and physicians went right out of business, and war became a thing of the past. It didn't make sense to try to destroy an enemy that couldn't be destroyed, so the kingdoms of the world stopped investing in warfare and castles and started handling conflicts diplomatically. Sure, there was an impending population crisis that they would all have to deal with someday because no one would ever die, but that was a question for tomorrow. Now that he had all the time in the world, the soldier went on long walks through the forest, it was there that he arrived on an old woman swimming. Well, not so much swimming, but lying face down, fully clothed in water. The soldier took a stick and tapped her on the shoulder. The woman found her feet and stood in the lake. Oh, still alive. Cool. Yeah, you're welcome. Great, isn't it? The soldier said, sitting down on a nearby boulder. No the old woman said, before moving to put her head back underwater for the next few hours. Wait, no? The soldier asked. That's what I said. Look, a while back, I was on my deathbed. My husband, gone. My children had left. I was done with the world. And the world was done with me. And that was okay. It was time for me to move on. I had run my race. And it was time for my rest. I don't even have any teeth left. Look. But not an hour later... My sickness stopped. Now I can barely walk, I'm completely alone, but I can't seem to say goodbye. The woman paused. Wait, so when the soldier arrived, he said, you're welcome. Did, did he have anything to do with this? The old woman might not be able to walk so well, but she could speak well enough to let him know exactly what she thought of him, and she could still throw a punch. After the explanation, the soldier ran from the woods. But the soldier was forced to reckon with the realization that he might have immortality, but he didn't have eternal youth. He, too, would get old. His teeth might fall out, his limbs might grow weak. The creeping dread only grew until the soldier knew what he must do. One trip up the mountain and one trip back down, he took the quick way and didn't let death out of the bag, the soldier stood facing his mortality. If he was going to die and be forced to reckon with his sins, 
he would rather do that with the strength that he had now than wait. He walked home, said goodbye to his wife and son for real this time, and went to go lie in bed. He laid back and loosened the strings of the bag. Real quickly, if you're about to let death loose on a world after a period of time where people are living consequence-free, maybe let someone know, send out a tweet or something. The soldier was friends with the Tsar and could have used him to get the word out. But I guess he thought that it was better that it remained a fun surprise for people. He thought that his terrible sin was keeping death captive in a bag for a few years. I would argue that the worst sin was letting her back out without giving everyone a chance to stop base jumping without a parachute. Death, take me now, he said. I shut tight. This was it. This was the end. This was not at all happening. All he heard, after the little old lady emerged from the bag, was the devils can make an end to you if they like, and then the slam of a door. The little old lady death wanted absolutely nothing to do with the man who managed to trap her in a bag and leave her hanging in the forest for a few years. The soldier sat up in bed and had a thought that I don't think a single person has ever had in the history of the world. He nodded and said, quote, Well, better get straight along to hell and let the devils throw me into boiling pitch and stew me until all my sins are stewed out. His family, happy to see him alive, but probably tired of getting jerked around by all this talk of him dying and then him not dying and all that, likely just nodded at the fact that he said he was alive, but that he was going to willingly surrender himself to hell. Sure, honey. See you later. When he arrived at hell, which is I guess in walking distance from Russia, he threw up his hands before the gates. Demons, demons take him now, stew me in hot pitch, whatever you guys do in there. The demons looked at each other. Huh? freebie. Nobody ever does that and stew him in hot pitch. They were demons. They were very much into that and yeah, let him in. Wait, what was that at his side? The soldier looked. Oh, it was just a bag that he carried. The demons panicked. No, do not let him in. Lock the doors. Bolt them. The soldier tossed the bag aside. Look, no bag. He's just a normal guy. But they still wouldn't let him in. So, of course, he demanded to speak to the manager. Hey, the Prince of Darkness said to the soldier, I'm going to need you to uh, just vacate the premises. You're intimidating my guys. I guess I'm sorry to say this, but you're not getting into hell. Period. Full stop. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So me being here is torturous to your demons then, the soldier asked. The devil said, yes, please go. Leave. 200 souls, the soldier said. Devil cocked an eyebrow. Oh, so they were negotiating. The devil twirled his mustache. 225. The soldier did some quick math. That's, that's more? That's not how negotiating works? The devil narrowed his eyes. Fine. 250. Final offer. And you have to leave right now. The soldier, not turning down 25% more than he had asked for and seeing what all the hubbub was about regarding the deal with the devil, accepted. And soon the gates of hell opened, and 250 souls rushed out. The soldier, still a soldier, quickly got the souls in columns. They got in line, and started the long march up to heaven.
I'm not getting in. Are you serious? The soldier said. Check the list again. Peter shrugged. Look, it really isn't his call. He put his finger to his ear and nodded. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, they just checked with the big guy. It's not happening. There's no place for you here. Sorry, bud. He went back to scanning the tickets of the 250 that were released from hell. I'm going to be real. I have some ideas, but I don't know exactly why the soldier wasn't being let in. The story doesn't really give us any theological justification as to why or why not he would be denied entry, but he was. But he wasn't angry. He took the news with stoic reserve and thanked Peter for asking again before leaving. But he didn't go that far. He moved to the back of the line and found the last of the souls that had come from hell. He struck up a conversation with the man and told him that because the soldier had sprung him from hell, he demanded recompense. The souls were an insurance policy. He didn't do stuff like that out of the goodness of his heart. The soul started to say that maybe if he did, he would be getting in, but the soldier cut him off and hooked something to the man's belt. A bag. When you get in there, as soon as you cross the threshold, open the bag and say, Get in the bag, soldier. The soul nodded. I mean, the man had rescued him from hell and was now asking a small favor. Sure, I mean, what? What did he have to lose other than his eternal salvation? Peter stood at the gate, scanning the last few. They needed to have their tickets out and ready, or they could do the e-ticket thing, in which case they had to have their phone ready. Seriously, they just saw 200 plus people do this. It's not difficult, guys. Finally, it was the soul with the bag's turn. The man trembled. Just hours ago, he had been trapped eternally in hell. Now, well, now he was entering heaven. He crossed the threshold and he was enveloped in warm, wonderful light. You're still here? Peter said to the soldier, who had been standing there for ten minutes, eyes closed, arms open, ready to be sucked into heaven. It's over, the apostle said. Go home. The soldier opened his eyes, confused. Go, Peter said. And the soldier said that he was uh, just waiting for something to happen. Aren't we all? But look, no loitering, okay? I'm sorry you're not getting in, but you do need to leave. I, I don't want to do it, but we still have that angel with the flaming sword if you want me to bring them out. The soldier looked back one last time, with hope, to the gates of heaven. He sighed and started his long walk back to earth. Maybe it comes as a surprise, but the last soul, completely and forever free of the soldier's power and wholly consumed by the glory of heaven, didn't care to start off their stay in heaven with a sin. They took the bag from the belt, tossed it to the side, and never thought about it again. As for the soldier, well, he had a different fate. You see, he did return home to his very not-surprised family. But as death came for each one of them, when he saw her again each time, standing at the side of their beds as they went, the soldier began to realize something he felt fine. As the wizened soldier buried his great-grandchild, who had died at the age of 70, he had long since confirmed what he feared. Death wanted nothing to do with him. Neither did heaven, nor hell. As such, he would wander this earth forever. And the story says that the soldier, whose tale started with three biscuits and a good deed, is still out there, walking the world to this very day. 
I really like this one, and it has a surprising amount of twists and turns for a fairy tale. Usually they aren't as ambitious as this. And I certainly didn't see a story that started with a poorly compensated veteran having him stopping death on earth and trying to trick his way into heaven. It was a fun ride. Next week, for real this time, maybe, we will either be back in the Mabinogian, if I can nail the pronunciations, or the Odyssey. Both have guys trying to get home from a war, and in the Mabinogian it happens in the first five minutes. For Odysseus, it takes a bit longer. If you'd like to support the show, there's the membership thing on the site. But you can't wear a membership. So if you're looking for t-shirts or stickers or something that we handmade, go to shop.bardic.fm. The creature this week is the Valraven from Danish folklore. Before we get started, Valraven, it's spelled without the E by the way, Valraven sounds like the name of a keep of some stoic northern kingdom. If I ever write a fantasy novel, it will be set in Valraven. Anyway, Valraven the creature means Raven of the Slain in Danish, which is somehow more metal. It's the gift that keeps on giving. They're what happens when you leave a king out on a battlefield, and the ravens snack on his remains. It doesn't appear to physically change them, but I guess kings are brain food, because now the ravens are super smart, and also kind of sad. You see, they're now aware of their existence, and filled with a forlorn, existential dread. They are peaceless souls in search of redemption. Now, when you think about the word redemption, I can almost guarantee that you're not thinking about it in the way that this story means redemption, because the only way the Valraven can achieve its quote-unquote redemption is by consuming the heart of a child. Because even most children can fight off one super smart bird, the Valraven relies on trickery. Remember, they're very smart. One popular story tells of how a woman wanted to marry someone, so the Valraven engineered it on the condition that he would get something from the woman. Maybe thinking that a bird could only possibly want seeds or maybe worms, the woman agreed, and yada yada yada, she gets married, has a child, and the bird comes seeking the child. I don't know how the Valraven got it, but they got it. The child's heart was eaten, and the Valraven got a shot at life as a full-grown human knight. Though, he couldn't have possibly been a good knight. I mean, how many hero origin stories start with the hero consuming the heart of a child? And that's it. There's no happy ending here. Except, I guess, for the raven, who became a real boy. So clean up your kings, and give them burials or cremate them. Don't just leave them lying around. Or you'll get supernatural ravens hunting after the hearts of your children. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>